Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here with Kyle, Jimmy, Luke, and Paul. And today we're continuing our Rooks and Vets coverage of Sci-Fi's The Magician Season 5. For those of you that are new here, here's how Rooks and Vets works. Two of our hosts who haven't watched the show talk with our hosts who have seen the show, and that's the premise. Today we're on Episode 2, The Wrath of the Time Bees. And before we get going here, I want to shout out a couple of Facebook groups for their support of the pod. Those groups are The Magicians Fans Uncensored and Sci-Fi's The Magicians Fan Group. Both of those are on Facebook. Check them out. They're friends of the pod, and we are friends of them. So let's go. Episode two, season five. Me and Kyle are the rooks here. I thought it was a pretty good episode. Still getting into the season. You know, we're trying it on for size. Uh, Life Without Q is continuing. What did you think, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the phrase trying on for size. I mean, we're just kind of baby steps. You know, people are still getting over this loss. Obviously, the whole impact of Q's death is going to permeate throughout the season because of how much he meant to everybody on the show. I really like that we're progressing in the fillery stuff and moves have been made on that front. The Katie stuff has been really interesting. I really liked Eugene and that whole aspect of the episode. So I'm really excited to talk about that. And as always, I just fucking love this show, so I can't wait. I would almost say that people are continuing to not get over Q's death, honestly, because the whole episode was Alice not getting over it, or I guess towards the end she finally does. But Luke, you are brand new to the Magician's Pod. What are your thoughts? So I first want to say that I listened to part of your guys' first episode, which we haven't dropped yet, so I couldn't listen to the full thing. But you guys did a great job of doing a little RIP section of... Quentin Coldwater, my fucking boy, the main character. He's my favorite character of the series. I'm really sad I didn't that he didn't get to continue through to the end. But like you're saying, I think it's really cool that the writers decided not to just write it off in the first episode and they gave the characters time to breathe and really focus on on getting over. Like this whole episode was about Alice finally moving past Quentin's death. And like Kyle said, I really, I really enjoyed Eugene's character too. I thought he was great. I'm really fucking upset that. He prematurely got ended in this episode, but overall, this is this is just another world um, season builder, season setup. Yeah, and to go along with what you're saying, if they did just have one episode, one scene where they're like, "Okay, we're over Quentin's death now," and moved on, I'd be pissed because I mean that scene was insane, and I you know can't listen to take on me anymore. Like you guys are saying, it just makes me sad. Throughout watching this episode, I was thinking like. Why wasn't this nominated for an Emmy? This writing is insane with the different timelines and loops. It's just so good. I'm so I, would guess, I would guess because it's on sci-fi, which is a shame. I know it should be. Ooh. It's so yeah. good. But what I wanted to say to the Rooks was how good was that child actor playing Q? I was just about to say, I loved Young Q. And I call him Young Q because on our other podcast, we had Young Hugh from <laughs> Haunting of Hill House, right? So Young Hugh, Young Q. But yeah, I loved Young Q. Anyone am, recognize him, his actor? I was going to say, am I alone in thinking that he looks like a young Ralph Macchio? <laughs> he absolutely does. But, but what he's Definitely. in and what he's famous for is he was in the first season of You. I, I don't know. Anything. He was the kid. Was, uh, Pablo? Pablo. Pablo, Pablo yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's totally him. He did a great job. He killed. He literally was young Q. It was so perfect. His I loved seeing. Were so well done. I just loved seeing Q as a kid because they always allude to it. Because obviously, Julia and Q's ongoing best friendship is a huge plot point of the series. So I was 
very grateful to finally see a younger Q. So how we're going <laughs> to do this episode is we like to split it up into character buckets when when some of the plot is unconnected, just to make it flow more naturally. So we're going to start with going through all of the Alice and Julia scenes, followed by the Katie scenes, and we're going to finish up with everything filler related, which is just Josh, Fenn, Margo, and Elliot. And to start off the bucket for Alice and Julia, they each have their own single scene before they come together. And for the rest of the episode, they'll be together. Yeah, I mean, the first scene is Alice doing something crazy like her mom told her to. We're getting right into it with her trying to use Q's book to reanimate this clay golem, which we kind of knew that's where she was going from episode one and it was kind of cool i just love how magic is portrayed the text comes right off the page the lights go out all this stuff happens and then we get the reveal that young q is back to life it was pretty insane actually i didn't know what was going to be shown from under that blanket and it was it was pretty satisfying to get young q yeah my first thought was that the clay body she makes didn't seem like it was big enough to be adult q I had no idea. Like, I obviously thought it wasn't going to be Jason Ralph Q, but I Cowards. did not anticipate what you're saying, Cowards, because she didn't make a little penis for the clay. No, they should have <laughs> fucking brought Jason Ralph back just for that. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I did not expect Young Q to pop out. Okay. So, another point I'd like to make is that my man, Young Q, knows what's good. He's hungry. My man wants some Taco Bell. My man knows. I love that. That was such a good little bar that they just threw in there. It wasn't necessary. There was obviously a conscious decision to choose Taco Bell. And I like that someone was wrote that in the script and everyone was like, yeah, Taco Bell makes sense. So we also get Alice kind of telling Q why he's here. Like she shows him the piece of paper, says like, I need your help translating it. It used to belong to a friend of mine, but I can't read it. I was hoping you could help me and then you would wake up. And at this point in the episode, we don't really know at all what that means but we also get q dropping some classic q stuff like am i in a dream like that episode of voyager or that other episode of voyager just classic q being q such a nerdy little boy love it so our next scene before we get the convergence of alice and julia is julia walking through break bills talking to dean fogg and their conversation is just around the magical surges that are going on around the globe and what you notice right away is that the student count at break bills is through the roof because so many people that are magically inclined are just, they're all just passing the test because of the, because the, the high amount of ambient magic now. Yeah. So Julie is trying to figure out a pattern behind all these magical surges. So she's talking to Dean Fox, seeing if he can help. And he says, well, I have a, a professor that might be able to help you professor X. And Julie is like, x-men professor x (laughs) and he's like no it's my ex i just like to call her that so we don't meet professor x in this episode yet right correct me if i'm wrong we're assuming she's she's dead. dead yeah oh okay well i right when he said it's like an ex who was a professor my mind immediately said i hope they bring back professor big b who was a former professor that was like exiled but she could have been brought back and is an old flame of fog i would love to have big b back yeah i don't think professor x is dead confirmed unless no just the explosion yeah i mean there's a blood stain on the window but come on could be any of the students yeah it could be anyone i i just want to say that I really like the whole idea of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe, I, th- well, I want to say this is the first time they ever talked about it because they talk about it in such detail. Uh, it's just uh, really they, interesting. Yeah, they bring up circumstances uh, with the moon and stuff in earlier seasons, but it's not really talked about in detail, I don't believe. 
it's touched at a lot more in the books, which is actually a really cool reason to read the books because they get into the details of magic when the professors are telling the students and stuff. But the whole point that they wanted to talk to Professor X about was that she was an expert of meta circumstances. So when you know they're coincidentally talking about it and the explosion goes off in the classroom and, and Fogg says that's Professor X's room, you kind of have to assume that that Professor X isn't going to be helpful in, in what Julia is looking for. So that was the purpose of that scene. And that leads Julia directly to going to Alice because who else is the best in the world at circumstances if it's not Alice? So yes. in the circumstances, they're kind of, like I said, they really didn't dive into the theory of it. They're just kind of like outside forces that affect spellcasting, right? Like he said, the moon and the nearest body of water. Is that really all that circumstances are? No, it's just like, okay, Jupiter is here tonight, so you have to move your fingers when you're casting a little bit like more ring finger in it. Like That's just kind of what it's supposed to be. They've definitely talked about it through the first four seasons. It's yeah. just not yeah. a major plot point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's so cool. The blanks of what it means. It just makes magic more complicated, and that's yeah. why some people are so much better than others, and Alice excels at reading circumstances, make, is, which is why she's one of the best casters in the entire show. It's just so cool because it just makes sense. And I love when shows, they give a power like rules. You can't, you can't just be a magician and be unlimitedly powerful. They give you restrictions that you have to be smart enough. So it's, it's just so, it makes so much sense why there's such a power gap in between people. I feel like that's one of the reasons why we all gravitate towards anime is because there are these superpowers that are dictated by a very strict set of like laws. So yeah, I'm just completely agreeing with you, Paul. I love that they're making magic more complex. All right, so back at Alice's house, when Julia shows up to talk about the metamath, she opens the door, Alice, to greet Julia, and obviously Alice is flustered because Quentin's sitting five feet behind her, and she doesn't want Julia to know. So she tries to pawn it off. Oh, my cousin's here. I can't really talk right now. And Julia He's from Canada. Yeah, he's from Canada. He's from Canada. I gotta go. He's from Canada. <laughs> Julia catches a quick glimpse of little Q. And of course, being a lifelong friend of Quentin, she remembers him and knows right away that that is a remade version of Quentin. Yeah, just munching on his taco. Not the Taco next- Bell, though. Yeah, I was going to say that. Alice is such a bitch, dude. He <laughs> specifically asked for Taco Bell, not some knockoff. She did get him everything on the menu, though. Okay. Yeah, I take it. That's true. I have one question. Paul, would you recognize young me? Yeah, of course. And uh, my face would be exactly like Julia's. Holy shit. Like, I can't believe. Because you see pictures, but actually watching that person move and young you and shit like that, it would be like, holy shit. I'm old. B-Times would be a little chubby. I would be chubby. Kyle would have the Bieber flow and a voice so high pitched that only dogs could hear it. Yeah. He would also have the flow. Paul would have his Hurley hat. We would all have our have our little. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do know what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> I'd be I also again. like um, that. I mean, Alice's actress is just she's so good at the little her, Alice NQ. There's two actresses or actors rather are so good at the little mannerisms of their characters when she opens the door and then she like shit, she does a little whisper shit and she acts flustered so well. I just really, really liked there's little details that they put in because they're so good at being these people now. 
So the next scene that we get is just Julia staring in awe of young Q, which if you got to see your best friend as a child, you would do the exact same thing. And Q just is an absolute savage. Like, why are you staring at me? You look like someone I know, my friend Julia, like kind of like her grandma. And <laughs> Julia is just like, all right, I need to talk to Alice. Why don't you just kick rocks, dude? Like, <laughs> yeah, she's a little that's, pissed. That's so funny because... Q is back and obviously they miss Q so much, but then they get him and they're immediately annoyed with him in like 30 seconds. It's just a classic Q. Uh, but anyway, so Julia and Alice start getting their one-on-one talking about what happened. And Alice ends up saying that she instowed a little bit of Quentin's actual essence from the underworld into the golem to, to make him more genuinely Quentin. And she also used the book that she stole from the library to ingrain all of Quentin's memories into the into the golem. So it's not like a Margot Gollum from the past seasons where it's just like a you know visual of the character. It actually has a lot of the personality of Quentin. And Julia obviously is is annoyed because Alice wouldn't help her with the seance earlier, but she was willing to go in and literally res- resurrect him from the death. So she's annoyed at that part. And then they start talking about why little q's there and it kind of reminds me of rick and morty the, the Meeseeks. mr Meeseeks, yeah. yeah how the golem cannot go to rest until the golem accomplishes the goal that he was brought there for which is to help read the page that alice has from quentin hi i'm quentin look at me <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you guys thought of that as well yeah definitely it was so funny Julia also absolutely shits on Alice in this scene. And it's just like, that is so insanely selfish. You fucked up. Put it all back now and let Q be at peace. Alice was trying to play it off too. She was like, yeah, I took one tiny grain of Q's soul and put it in there. And Julia's like, that's still fucked up. I just want to say right now, the closure that she gets with young Q is great. I love the final scene between Q and Alice in this episode, but objectively, this is wildly selfish and this is not a good look for Alice again. Like, I thought this was going to be her redemption season. This is some typical Alice bullshit. Is that Especially. your outstanding opinion that she isn't redeemed after season four? No, fuck that bitch. Q's dead. She's alive. And like she no, I, no we're not getting into this right now. All of season three, she was horrible. Literally, they got magic back all through season three. She just comes in and says, no, I'm destroying the keys. Then Julia sacrifices herself for the keys. And then she's just like, OK, library, come in here and siphon it off. Bullshit. Alice is not redeemed. I slightly disagree. But- okay. well, I don't think, well, Alice ended up not being part of the siphon thing yeah yeah she originally was so yeah yeah agreed this is just to kind of continue the point we made last episode and how different like julia was all dressed up and kind of she's obviously missing cute but still going about her life while alice is just disheveled and a mess and this scene continues that whole theme where Alice is so flustered. She's like on the verge of tears. She's trying to explain all this crazy shit she did. And Julia is just very matter of fact, just you cannot do like we all miss Q, but you can't go this far. Like this is way past the line. So after Julia gives her a nice little talking to in the basement, Julia then heads upstairs. She speaks to young Q. Um, You find out at the end of the scene that she is kind of looking for any issues with the casting to see if, you know, if there's anything they can do to kind of get rid of the golem without having to complete this seemingly impossible task. And naturally they kind of just fall into a conversation because they are best friends. And they talk about how Q 
when he gets to the end of the book, he likes to just jump back to the beginning because he hates endings. I think it's a really funny scene, with, or at least a line when he says, you know, the therapist my mom sends me to says I have transition anxiety as if it's a bad thing to never want anything to change. And that is just classic young Q, you know, and it's really yeah. interesting that that line is there because the whole story of season one through four is basically Q getting over that transition anxiety and kind of coming to terms with the reality of reality. I think it's, it's all- just con- it's consistent writing to have him be <clears throat> mentally troubled from that young of an age. So that's good to see that they they put the details into there. It's also so perfect that the book that young Q is reading is older Q's copy of A World in the Walls with his like notes all through it. So that's just so perfect. That must have been such a moment for Julia to see young Q reading older Q's book. So perfect. This show, man. Mm-hmm. And then this is when Alice and Julia talk again about circumstances. And this is a cool conversation because everything we've known about circumstances prior to this conversation is all astrological, astro, astrological, Jesus Christ, and just where the moon is, where certain planets are at the time of casting. And this is the first mention of circumstances on the inside of you mattering. And that's kind of, you know, more depth to, to the magic and what we were talking about earlier and what B. Tom's likes about how the magic is written. Yeah, and the point of that was Julia saying that she thinks Alice brought Q back to ask him a different question, so she needs to figure that question out and get him to answer for her so she can complete the spell and bring him back to peace. And yeah, she's saying that the circumstances are what changed the question. I love it. I just, I mean, I said it when we first brought up circumstances, but I'm so into it. Yeah, I like that they're they're going really far into this. Also, I want to comment that Julia has been killing it this season already. She's what's her discipline. That's only her and fog. Is it learning or intelligence? Knowledge, 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 discipline. They're doing a very good job of making her character consistent with her discipline. Like she's always just solving everybody's puzzles and her own like problems. It's great to see. Speaking of just loving aspects of magic, I fucking love the disciplines. That's such a cool thing. And they can make it whatever they want. I think they said it earlier in this episode. What was it? It was meta circumstances is a, is a discipline. Like that's crazy. And later Daniel's old friend, his dis her discipline was predicting circumstances. So, so cool. they can conveniently make them whatever the hell they want. I do love the disciplines. I'm a skip us along over to the next scene, which is Alice and young. Oh my gosh. Alice and young Q getting a little bit of their closure. This is the scene that I really liked. And it's, it's Alice just kind of saying like, my old friend, he gave me a gift that I can't repay. He gave me his life and I never really got to say goodbye to him. And young Q just speaking from the heart with words of wisdom. He says, the gift your friend gave you wasn't his life. It was yours. Your story is just starting because of his sacrifice, which is pretty much exactly what Penny Forty said to Q in the take on me scene is thanks to you. Their story is just beginning because of your sacrifice. It's, this is such a great goodbye scene, and this is exactly what Alice needed, I think. Fuck Penny Forty, but that was a great line that he said mm-hmm. to Quentin at the end of the at the end of season four. Have w- side note, have we seen Penny Forty this season yet? Don't no. believe so. Okay, he is who I'm most excited to see. Whatever he's doing in the underworld, that's what I'm most excited to see. But we haven't seen him yet. I just want to plant that seed for when we do see him. I I do also agree, fuck Penny Forty too. Yeah, my rewatch has changed my opinions on a lot of characters, but Penny Forty, I hate it the first time through. 
and you guys will form your own opinion at the end of the series, but not a huge fan. I, I, I really grew to like Penny 23 this time around and right where we are. I, I do like him. I just always felt that Julia and Penny sexual thing going on was a little awkward, but so I weird. It's growing on me the second time around a little bit, but him as a character, he's much better. I really like how Alice says that, you know, she shouldn't be surprised that even at 12 years old, Quentin Coldwater is the smartest person she knows. It's just interesting because I feel like she never said anything like that through seasons one through four. You know, she never let on that she thought Quentin was smart in like any way, you know, because she is supposed to be the, you know, the wonder genius, I guess you could say. And then they and then they do the magic trick and she does like actual magic. And it's oh, I love it. He's like, that was cool. Luke, I gotta ask you, um, on your rewatch, did your opinion change about Dean Fogg at all? A hundred percent. I liked him a lot more going through. He does fuck them over with the McAllister and library deal, which was always in the back of my head of why I hated Fogg. But on the rewatch, he's a lot more helpful than I remembered. And yeah. it's so cool that he's one of the master magicians that remembers the time loops. Just there's yeah. a lot of just story around him that's interesting. I mean, that alone, um, like the first time watching through, you're like, Jesus, for a dean, this guy's like alcoholic, this is ridiculous. And then you learn he's literally watched everybody get obliterated 39 times. And it's like he's like, fuck it, dude. If I'm doing this again, I'm I'm doing it wasted. I'm excited <laughs> to have Brian and Kyle see Dean Fogg's storyline this season. Their raw reactions is gonna be amazing. Dean Fogg's my boy. The scene where he is taking Todd around. And like finishing his <laughs> memoir is one of my favorite scenes in the entire show. So one of the last uh, scenes Bob gets of season four is when the librarians show up to arrest him. And Todd's like, we got a problem. He's like, did you shit in my toilet again? Yes. <laughs> so good. So Also, yeah, curious. We haven't seen Todd yet this season. So Dark King vibes. What's going on there? <laughs> Was that a bold prediction that you put on the board? I put it in the chat, maybe like, what was that, two days yeah. ago yesterday? And I guess I'm immortalizing it in audio right now. All right, throw it on the board. First theory for the Dark King. Todd, Todd. is the Dark King. I would freak the fuck out if Todd is the Dark King. Dude, come on. Imagine he, like, walks in through, like, smoke. And the moment Margot realizes that Todd is the Dark King would be absolutely amazing. So the last kind of scene for Julia and Alice is... Alice coming to offer Julia more help with her problem. She says, you know, Q's gone. That's all dealt with. And this is where she says, my dad, Daniel, had a friend with a rare discipline predicting circumstances. Like she wrote this book. If anybody can help you with the whole magic surge thing, it would be her. Shout out the homie Daniel Quinn. The boy, the bro. I also just like the name of the book, Circumstantial Prognostication. Just obviously it's fucking made up because it's made up magic, but it just sounds so nice and official. Mm -hmm. We ready for the hedge witch storyline? Let's do I? it. Let go. All right. So we're going to start with Katie and Pete drinking at the bar. And I didn't get to voice any opinion about Pete yet since this is my first episode, but I love the guy. I think he's great. He was such a good character to bring back from the early seasons and and be impactful and it makes sense with the hedge witch storyline coming back so i just love pete and the dynamic of everyone in the group he whoever he's talking to is kind of funny so they're drinking at the bar and pete decides to leave with a girl you know he, he's a player we all know that he's going home with her and there's this asian guy at the bar who sees katie and makes a comment about pete something about uh, what was it? He he like would a, be if cocaine is a human. Yeah. Like, 
And let's not for, let's not forget that P was trying to take Katie home first. Yeah, he did he strike out. Say that. Gotta say, Katie's hair is looking great. <laughs> Fucking yeah, phenomenal. Katie does look great this season, um, which is why this new character, Eugene, starts hitting on her right away. And surprisingly, she takes well to how he's talking to him. And I think we just flash after the first drink mm-hmm. right to the to the next morning when they're waking up in bed. And they're both kind of confused and dazed. They don't really remember what's going on. They think that they just had like a blackout. And Eugene does the whole awkward post Tinder date hookup with like not knowing what to say, getting his clothes. But then he does leave his number for Katie to call him on a random card and throws it on the bed. And I think that's the end of that scene. I liked how when they were at the bar, um, Katie, like you guys were (laughs) saying that they were kind of like insulting each other, like teasing each other. Like she said, he was a metal cover band for well, J-pop, but, and he was like close K-pop. Uh, um, but I feel like if that was like season one or season two, Katie and what's his name? Eugene. Eugene. Yeah. Eugene said that line to her. She would have been like, fuck off and like walked away. Like Katie has grown <laughs> so much. I mean, everybody has, they've been through shit. And that was like another one of my just thoughts is they're so unfazed by everything now, just because they've seen so much. They're like, all right, we'll just roll with it. I mean, going to what Castle Blackspire, that whole part of the quest would just be such an insane experience that like coming back from that would just be insane. Yeah, it's like um, in episode one, Julia was like, I've saved the world before. Like, yeah, this isn't my first time. <laughs> Talking to what's his name, Kyle? Uh, Sir Hargrave McGrubbins. Fuck, I don't remember all of it. <laughs> the third. Sir Effingham the third, yeah. I think you might have missed one of his names, but yeah, that was close. Can't I'll get it next time. Next again. time you hit it with me, that's not this episode. I'll nail it. I'll never miss it again. So after the hookup, Katie goes back to just the swanky new NYC apartment that they're all living in at the same time. And Penny's there and he's researching traveling against your will. And Katie's just like, well, that doesn't sound good. And this is where we get Penny telling Katie about how his student gave him this signal and that it made him travel when he didn't want to. He has no idea why. Um, And now he's just hearing this signal all the time. And he has that patch that he had to put on when he was hearing the beast in season one. Same thing, right? Yep. Same thing. Yeah. So Penny is having issues, but what else is new? Penny's always having issues. He's the traveler. Since we don't get much more about the Penny and radio signal, do you guys have any guesses about that? Uh, all I know is that Bucket Hat Boy's hands are clean on this one. <laughs> no. <laughs> he is clearly the issue. No. Um, I'm, still sticking with my, I'm still sticking with my bunny theory, man. The bunnies, they say it in this episode, we'll talk about it, that the bunnies know something's janky with the connection between Earth and Fillory. They're trying to send a message to Penny23 from Fillory, so I'm sticking with my bunny theory. Oh, you guys got good poker faces, because I know I'm right. You guys are good at hiding it. I mean, Todd's a dark king. So, <laughs> but uh, the one comment I have about this scene is that this must, it still must be so weird for Katie having Penny40 around. Because he says like Penny 23 around. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Penny 23. Because he says like, Oh, you know, like hangover cures are my specialty. And she goes, yeah, I remember. And it's like, Oh, that's so awkward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even a little bit later, he tries to comfort her and he like goes to like grab her hand or arm and to comfort her. And she, she's like, no, 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 get out. Get, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah. I still can't get over the, 
Julia and Penny 23 thing. It's just, it looks so weird whenever they kiss. It's like, that should be fucking Katie, man. Yeah, it is. It definitely is still for me. I mean, we haven't had much development on there. And I mean, okay, so I'm sorry. Episode one, obviously there was, but this episode, there was nothing. It, it still feels a little weird to me. Katie is almost a year sober and she's like, I have no idea why I'm feeling this hungover. My head is just throbbing and and I don't know why. And Penny's just like, well, maybe you just have to get back to work. Maybe you should just dive right back into locating this missing uh, library depository, the missing building. And Katie's like, what missing building? What are you talking about? And, you know, it comes out that she is missing some memories. So what the fuck's going on here? That was a mind fuck when she goes, what the hell are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Which brings us to the next scene is her confronting this dude, Eugene, to find out what the hell happened because she's connecting the dots and thinks, hey, maybe this guy roofied me. So it's them back at the same hedge bar that they were out and she truefied this guy, Eugene. So now... She slipped him the truth serum, just like our boy Q to Dean Fogg. And he is just spilling his guts as he has a oh crush on his half-sister. This is the yeah. most ridiculous thing. Yeah, well, that was okay. amazing. Genetically, his half-sister. Yeah. Technically, his first cousin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, Brian, uh, what you said, Q used it on Dean Fogg. Elliot used it on his like on um, his advisors. His yeah. yeah, yeah. And Margot said uh, that actually got Margot locked up. They use that so much. And I love how they always bring it back and just say trophy. <laughs> um, quick question, though, because now we know we already know what happens to Eugene in the end. But if he wasn't bad, don't you think like his personality felt unique enough that it would have clashed really well with the rest of the cast? Like he could have been yeah. Katie's plus one for this season. And I would have mm-hmm. been so happy because he was just awesome. He was kind of funny. He and you know, I don't want to, there's not much really to say about him because he's an evil fuck, but you know, the good parts of him were good. I was definitely rooting for you, Jen. Yeah. yeah. I was really upset, honestly, because he was so cool. Like exactly what you were saying, Luke, like when he's freaking out and spilling his guts and he's like, oh, fucking truth serum. And like, just like freaking out. Dude, I want to hang out with him. Yeah. You Yeah. You yeah, was cool. He's I'm, definitely dead as bricks though. He didn't do anything technically. I mean, he would just black out and be like oops didn't do but, it but he did know that he was like an assassin guy he just intentionally wiped his memory so that he didn't remember his missions yeah we, we figure all this out because they mm. do the vr psychic spell with penny 23's help so katie and eugene are just gonna relive the memory that they're forgetting in the hedge witch bar and th- they start figuring this out that the girl that pete went home with did a little spell on a card or something like that. that, And he gave it to Eugene before Katie and Pete walked into the bar. So this is how they start figuring things out because obviously Eugene doesn't remember any of it either. Um, uh, and what, what, what is it that triggers the, the remember the little top hat? It's a top hat on the card. Yeah. The winter right. soldier style. This is just like so stupid, but it made me laugh that when they sit down inside the curtain, to like start doing it. And Eugene asked, where should we start? And Katie just goes like last night at the bar, <laughs> like, where the fuck hell? you know, like technically, yeah. Okay. They could have started earlier, but it just made me laugh. It just seemed like such a fucking obvious question. Let's get to his unfaithful end because after they both realize what's going on with this whole conversation about the sleeper assassin um, of, as his job, 
Katie kicks the shit out of him in the bar in the VR. Hell yeah, VR. she does. That was no, sweet. Which is dope. She like breaks the freaking pool stick in half. She's awesome. Yeah. She was jumping over the jumping over the pool table. Her hair is like flowing in the wind and looking beautiful. She's a badass, and we know it from all the seasons. But she's she's probably got some more skills now that she was a cop for however long. I love how there's magic and they still fist fight. It's just so cool. Katie's the only one that does that. Yeah. <laughs> there was yeah, in, right? in season two um, when Julie is kind of locked up in the garage of the lady hiding from Reynard. Katie busts down the wall, walks in, and the chick's like, you're useless. You can't use magic in here. And she just walks up, punches her right in the face. What the fuck I need magic for? This is my favorite anytime Katie punches someone in the face. That's... This might be nitpicking, and I was just wondering, but what there was the whole situation, the whole premise that they can't do battle magic except for Katie and partly Alice and Penny without having the spell that takes their emotions away. But then obviously like in this episode, Margo does it and they've been using it. Is there something that I missed to why they can start doing battle magic again anytime they want or. Well, Katie could always do it. No, I'm saying like Margo does it to the. Yeah. yeah I don't know. You could you chalk it up to character growth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah that's the way I took it was just that yeah. they just kind of learned how to do it. I mean, they're well on their way to being master magicians. Well, I feel like Margo does it in the desert episode too. And that's pre magical surge so i guess she was when she fucked up the you know the guy with the axes yeah yeah so i don't know i don't know about that she just must have learned it and got good at it mm-hmm. mr marathon man so katie <laughs> makes the the error of telling eugene while she has him like on the pool table threatening him with the knife and says my friend's a psychic he's gonna read into your mind like it, she just did not need to say that yeah but the second he hears that he says okay you leave me no choice and does a suicide spell and basically kills himself so they wake up out of the spell VR and he's foaming at the mouth because he activated that spell. So they're not going to get any information out of him, which is just typical, you know, season long mystery. We're going to figure it out as we go along. But, you know, RIP, he had potential with Katie. I loved him. Yeah, I'm a little sad, but I mean, if it comes down to him killing Katie or him dying, obviously I'm picking my girl Katie. That. 12 times out of 10, three times on Sundays, <laughs> even if there's a fire. <laughs> So, yeah, the last thing we have here with Katie mm-hmm. is the scene I was talking about with Katie and Penny, right? Where Katie, Penny, and Pete are talking, and Pete's mm-hmm. admitting he also lost his memory or figuring out he also got his memory wiped. And he says, oh, I need a drink, and, you know, he's so sorry. I'm just going to get out of here. And then Penny has that scene with Katie where he tries to comfort her, and she's it's obviously awkward, obviously uncomfortable, and she she rolls out. But we know that the girl that Pete went with obviously has something to do with it. Right. She almost seems like the yeah. ringleader. Yeah. And we okay, just, we're not the ringleader, but she is higher up I, in the hierarchy than Eugene is. She doesn't seem to be a pawn. And you know what I mean? Eugene was a pawn. They're having a conversation here. Just saying, you know, basically what was in that building that disappeared that it's so important that they're going to send suicide Manchurian assassins at you. Um, so that's like a really cool developing plot point that it's just like so much going on. And Paul, it, it was Penny that pointed that out because Pete and Katie are just like, ah, oh, whatever this happens sometimes we're <laughs> yeah. magic, whatever. And Penny's just like, they just sent a sleeper agent. It's not nothing. Yeah. So it's totally right. This is uh, back to the unfazed by everything now. They're like, oh yeah, somebody mm-hmm. tried to kill me. We also get the development with Katie. She kind of does confide in Penny 23 saying that 
look, I've been sober for a year. I'm trying to run these hedge witches. And essentially, she's just venting that she's very stressed over it, doesn't know if she can handle it without a crutch. She's saying, when I thought that I had relapsed, I was almost relieved because then I knew I would have an excuse to keep on relapsing. And it's just like Katie struggling with her own substance abuse, this, that, and the other thing. Katie's in a rough spot right now. Um, It's not easy to be the top hedge witch, and she is learning that full force right now. And I don't blame her, honestly. Like, I don't know how Marina did it for as long as she did. Marina's a little crazy, so. (laughs) she is. Yeah, Marina's evil, so she doesn't give a shit about anything. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's true, but Katie's not evil, so I could see why she would be a little bit in over her head right yep, now. Exactly. Yeah, I'm really glad they had this scene because I, we, I really like Katie. Katie's whole the depth to Katie has kind of come from her mom, and then that kind of ended pretty quickly, and then Penny, and then Penny dies. So now we're kind of getting another layer to Katie, which I really enjoy. Yeah, and I like that she does want to kind of like lead the head witches. Like she's doing it out of charity. She doesn't want them to hurt themselves or anything to happen. So she's taking on this responsibility, even though she, she really doesn't need to. She also have- has a, a moral compass, unlike Marina, who was the last he- leader of the hedges. So, like, if they have a good leader like Katie, maybe the hedge witches will not be such a what's the word I'm looking for? Like people look down on the hedges. I feel like she is trying to legitimize them. Yeah, I like she's how, trying to get rid of the stigma. I like how every time they show a hedge witch though, they're like wearing beanies and saggy clothes and they look like they have like hacky sacks on them and stuff like that. It's just so funny. Besides like Pete and Marina and Katie, they're all clean cut. Well, she does say to the, um, when Eugen says, talks about Pete saying, you know, your friend is like if cocaine was a person and mm-hmm. she says like, this is a hedge bar, like that description fits almost everyone in here. <laughs> Something I just thought of um, earlier in this episode, when Julia was uh, walking with Dean Fogg, she asked a question and, and Fogg was like, well, if you had a proper break bills education, you would know the answer to that. And he's like, oh, sorry, low blow. that's kind of my fault that you don't so (laughs) my bad one of my favorite quotes from season one or two it was whenever julia meets richard i guess season one is when he tells julia the reason you feel bad about using magic is because up until now you've only treated magic like a drug that's how hedge witches use it they deal spells back and forth to each other they trade it magic is not a bad thing but mm. that was a good little call back there rook what I do points, baby. Well, so yeah, the final part of this scene was something we've already spoke about a little bit, but when Penny reaches out to her to try to, you know, comfort her when she's clearly struggling and she just outright rejects it, gets up and, and kind of runs away from it, which makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Katie's in a rough spot right now. I I have to imagine that she's gonna turn around sometime soon. I feel like her and Penny 23 are gonna link up to help each other with their respective problems. Ooh, what if they're connected? connected? I guess in the in the end, everything will be connected. I mean, Julia's quest feels like the overarching quest of there's obviously issues with both worlds. And mm. Julia's kind of on that quest to figure that out. And everything will kind of spiral towards each other at the end because we need our heroes together fighting the same battles. So I think we're done with the KD timeline, yes? Which brings us to right here right now in episode two of season five this is my favorite storyline to follow is what's going on with fillery maybe it's just because i love elliot and Margot, and i haven't had real elliot elliot for all of season four but 
the first scene in Fillory that we get is Elliot just kind of running through the forest and he runs into Ghost Fen playing out her time loop and she's like getting executed, getting hanged. My first bullet is just, I fucking love Fen so much. That was Um, my first bullet too. (laughs) (laughs) She's just like, oh my God, Elliot, what's (laughs) up? Um, She's like, it's kind of hard to be mad that they're executing me. Like I was a terrible high king or that's what a lot of people screamed at me and a lot of strangers screaming at you can't be wrong. Fen out, bitches. Yes, fen out, bitches. I absolutely love Brittany Curran. Curran. I might pronounce it wrong, but she is absolutely incredible as Fen. And if, as sad as it is, if Q's... If Q leaving kind of lets Katie, Josh, and Fenn, it seems like at this point through two episodes, kind of collectively kind of fill that void, I'm okay with that. Dude, and- it's like it's like in the NFL. When your number one receiver goes down, somebody's got to get those receptions. You know, they don't just disappear. Those Next targets got to go somewhere. That's Josh and Fenn right now and Katie. Fenn is that so- slot receiver, man. When I think of season three, obviously I think of the keys and the quest, but I literally, one of the top things I think of is that was the rise of Fen. That's when Fen's character really became dope was just throughout that season. She was just like going to the real world, freaking out. She even had like an Instagram in this episode and shit like (laughs) that. When she goes to Benihana's, love that. (laughs) So so good when she Um, goes to Benihana's. I love when she's texting. I texted you guys in the group chat with her and the, the crab with the knife and yeah. the tiger with the knives and the thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> to continue with this scene, though, Fen, you know, continues talking and says, last I heard before I died was that you were still possessed by the monster. And she kind of starts like talking shit on Elliot. But, you know, I know the man that I married. I was not holding my breath for you to come save me. I was really expecting Q or Margot or she goes down the whole roster. (laughs) Even Dean Fogg is included. She expected him to like she expected to get saved, but not by Elliot. You know, Fen's kind of speaking truth. And as she's doing this, she's going full haunting of Hill House. Ghost yeah. mama, mm-hmm. right? She's getting grayer and scarier. She's her body's decomposing and shit. Yeah. The birds are coming to peck out my eyes. It's like Jesus Christ, that's horrible. And Elliot was like, "Chucking Jesus, relax." <laughs> she like runs away. And to steal a line from later in the episode, he, he definitely takes that with a stiff upper lip. She's mm, kind of shitting yeah, yeah. on him a little bit, and he just is like, "Okay." So, Rooks, what are you guys thinking at this point when you're watching this? Do you think, oh, shit, Fen is gone? Like, we're not really going to be seeing her? No. No. I knew Fen and Josh are coming back. They wouldn't kill off Q at the end of season four and then also take away Josh and Fen. Yeah, yeah. Kathleen already ruined that episode one, so. True. I'm so glad she's not on this episode. It's, like, so nice without her in the Zoom call and everything. It's just, like, really nice atmosphere for us. Yeah, she's not that great of a podcaster. (laughs) But yeah, one of the big things that we find out at the end is that Fen is is saying, you know, I'm dead. Don't worry about it. Don't feel bad. I'm I'm dead. And and then she's like, well, unless you could turn back time, if you could turn back time, you should probably do it. Please, please, please. Like (laughs) somehow she is trying to get saved too with with magic, I guess. Magic, I guess, which brings us to the next scene, which is Margot in the jail cell. That's where she's been chilling, and she's trying to let herself out, but it's a magic-proof jail cell. That's what they were showing. She, like, you know, conjures up a key and tries to use it, but she can't break herself out. It's magic-proof. Which one of you beefy twats (laughs) made, yeah, like a magician-proof dungeon cell? (laughs) So good. But this is going to be 
kind of the plot device, how she gets her fix um, in the jail cell is she removes the stone and she finds a letter from Josh. And it's just kind of him leaving a letter for Morgo to find or anybody to find saying what happened to Josh and Ben from their perspective. How horrible <laughs> was it uh, with Margo sitting there looking at the ghost of Josh like before he's about to get his head chopped off? Like that mm. would be horrifying. Honestly, she had a better experience than Elliot had with Fenn. So. Yeah, but Fenn was so cool about it. She was like, oh, hi. Josh was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I don't want to die alone. That's, That's like, like sad, though. At least Josh wasn't like, oh, Margo, you suck. I didn't believe in you at all. And Elliot's yeah. kind of like, you know, Elliot had just been the monster. And now he's like, oh, you're kicking me while I'm down, you bitch. <laughs> And um, be- before we move on, I want to say a couple takeaways from the letter that Josh writes, because we do find out that the connection between the the traveling bunnies, the communicators and Earth is has been dis- disturbed. And you can attribute it most likely to the magical surges or something that's going on. Maybe it's the Dark King, something they, they can't or the signal. To, yeah, they can't. They can't. Or the signal. <laughs> the signal. And then they also this is the. F- First, is this the second mention of the takers? Because the takers are mentioned in the play of last yep. episode. Mm. But they talk about the takers again. I had a lot of notes on this scene. I just thought this was really funny. But uh, I love Josh's note because it's great how they have Josh read the note out loud. And he just, RIP me. Huh? He has the little, <laughs> the little chuckle after he says it is so perfect. And Josh essentially is is telling Margo that me and Fen realize me being Josh, me and Fen realized that we were in over our heads. So we just kept waiting for you guys to come back rather than dealing with the problems that were presented to us, mm-hmm. which is kind of ridiculous. So I know I'm drowning myself in fried chicken at the moment or whatever. And then that's the first time we get the muzzy. The yeah. Josh's muzzy looks so good. I, <laughs> I love that in episode one, I guess Josh had a mustache face, um, <laughs> but Kyle, to go along with your little chuckle, like RIP me, he starts the letter by saying, if you're reading this, I'm probably dead. Maybe I got out, but it's probably the first one. I'm probably dead. <laughs> like, he took the time to write that. <laughs> I just love him. And him and Fen together, when they show, like, the flashback of them actually getting taken, they are such a money combo together. When mm-hmm. he's like, you know, I feel like I should have a weapon. And Fen's like, you are the weapon. And he's like, well, you have two. <laughs> <laughs> So and we find out that Josh is the beefy twat who made the dungeon. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. good. Yep. So good. He signs off by saying, show. he signs off by saying, Margo, I hope it's you who finds this, and I hope you understand I did it all for you. Goodbye. I ship them so hard, Josh and Margo. I just I I love it so much. It's what Margo deserves, and Margo is what Josh deserves. And if we're Agreed. ready to move on, the next scene is lit. I love anytime we get Jane Chatwin on the screen. Dude. And it, it starts off with Elliot walking through a field and he's drinking again to himself. So we know he's self-pitying a little bit. And he walks right into the time suspended house, which we found out from two, it might have been two seasons ago that Jane has like these little areas that time doesn't move normally, which is the only place it's, she uh... exist. They're called the clock barons. The clock barons. Okay. So she's just chilling looking beautiful i love her from mm-hmm. game of thrones rose shout out she's great fuck joffrey um that's theon's chick and theon yeah yeah true 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 and so elliot starts <clears throat> sparking up the conversation obviously about time loops and and the idea of turning time back to save quentin again and jane absolutely rejects the idea because she says we went through 40 iterations and we can't possibly risk martin chatwin the beast coming back to life so we 
we just have to let this go because I'm not going to reset the time loop. Yeah. And I know that she has all these instruments that can change time and stuff, but also the point is that she died. So she can't reset the loop. That was a big part of the plot back when they realized that the loop won't start any more times because she was killed by the beast in this last loop. I'm pretty sure season two where this clock barons get shown or they even see Jane Chatwin. Everybody's mind is blown. Like it was this huge revelation. Elliot walks up, Jane Chatwin looks at him and goes, shit, fuck. Like, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> These kids always bring like trouble with them. It's just so funny. They just are so unfazed. I've said it a million times. And what Jane ends up telling him, which is actually one of the best lines of the, of the episode. I don't have the exact quote, but it goes along the lines of saying that the first time that they ever did the time loop reset to, to stop the beast, what happened was in the first iteration, Quentin came to Fillory after grieving for his best friend's death, Elliot. And that was the first thing Jane changed in the second iteration was bringing him back, which just the show keeps harping on the fact that Elliot and Quentin had just the most special relationship they were just the best of fucking friends and it's so sad that they didn't get to have a conversation after he became himself after the monster left but kathleen hit me up last night and was like hey have you have you watched the episode yet and i was like no but then i i watched it and we were texting about it and at the exact same moment we sent the same text oh my god like elliot was the reason why q ran to fillery like she was the first thing that changed that was <clears throat> an amazing revelation i absolutely love that was might have been my favorite part of the episode i would read a book of just like a list of all the different things that jane changed to to result in every single timeline it would be so interesting yeah jane's a beast except the only mistake she makes is that she fucking gets fen's name wrong and that was disrespectful yeah that was disrespectful looking back it's so wild how she died i mean she was so powerful she has all this time magic and she got destroyed by a stool and then just well that was it was gruesome after that yeah but. i was gonna say that's a good point i kind of almost forgot about how brutal her death was yeah. i kind of enjoyed it that felt game of thrones-esque yeah i wasn't expecting it at all um it, it's completely out of nowhere he was just like i was waiting for you picks up the stool breaks it over her i was really annoyed by that because jane had no business being two feet away like that dude was so dangerous, even when he was tied up. Do not risk it. It gave me uh, Oberon vibes when the mountain was just like on the ground out of commission and he was just like taunting. Don't do that. I was so upset at Jane and I couldn't say that then because we didn't podcast on that season. So whatever. What do you guys think is worse, the the stool or the crossbow? Because that's Game of Thrones when she, her character dies with the crossbow yeah, from Joffrey. Uh, stool, probably worse. Yeah. <laughs> Because doesn't the beast like eat her fucking neck after that? After the the stool, are you like he like what is gouges that? your he, eyes he, he out or something? Like that. Down. Yeah, 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 yeah dude. Gouges. The juicer, put your head right here. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though that it was a, a very pleasant surprise to have Jane back because this was unexpected, and I just like Luke was saying, I love her character. I love her little accent too. Stiff up a lip, eh? Positively mm. British of you. Yeah. So good. Yeah, she's really, really good. Time is a motherfucker, isn't it? That was like the number one quote yeah, that I wrote down. That's how I think it was so good. But I think uh, Paul mentioned it a little bit ago that they they did 
talk about all of Jane's time devices that she had in her um, cabin when they're just casually talking about these time loops. And I think Jane turns around for like one second to get tea or something. Yeah. And she turns back around and Elliot just has a fucking crate of all of the time devices on her shelf and he just leaves the time baron so she can't chase him. Fucking tea kettle. The tea kettle goes off so she's like, oh, time for tea. Yeah. Comes back. All of her shit's gone. That was positively British of her. Mm-hmm. Awesome of Elliot. Yeah, I was just going to say the next scene <laughs> that we get is Elliot bringing it back to the cell, right? Yeah. So, and I fucking love the line where Margo's just sitting there, look at him after he puts the hood down, goes, they made it Margo proof. Like, I can't get out of this thing. So they, they mess around with a couple of the devices right away. I think the first thing they grab is the time perfume. They spray it on themselves. And then they the next thing they grab is, was what was that? Was that the bee? Yeah, yeah that was the bee. Yep. Time bees, right? Yeah. Which is the name mm-hmm. of the episode, uh, The Wrath of the Time Bees. Yeah. I just want to say that the permeance perfume is for men and women. Like, really glitch. They can just do anything back in time and it doesn't impact them. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, Jane is supposed to be pretty glitch, though. So it would make sense. So, so that's the equivalent. No, it's not the equivalent of just remembering time loops. It's because you can't, you can't change. You, you can't affect alter yourself. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is weird because so, she must not have been wearing her perfume when the beast killed her. So like what that means is Margot could go back and kill her parents before she was even conceived and she would still be fine. I think. Yeah. So. yeah. That's the most obvious application, I guess. So, yeah. But Margot says, you know, Elliot use this beast smoker to go get the talking bees of white spire so we can deliver a message to josh in the past and it's like as easy as that and then you know elliot comes back says the talking bees have been delivered and margo goes to check what's behind the stone and instead of josh's letter there's now fen's phone which has a video of it's just fen walking around like taking a selfie posting something to her Instagram, which she somehow is getting three bars in Fillory. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, now that you mentioned the, the three bars thing, Kathleen would be very mad at us if we don't talk about the episode description. So the episode description was that Alice didn't buy enough tacos and then Fenn's got three bars. <laughs> <laughs> so just going on with that theme of like, what the fuck does these sentences even mean? Yeah. <laughs> Josh is like, oh, but- damn, how do you have three bars? <laughs> <laughs> So in this video, though, it's revealed that the bees just sting Josh and Josh is violently allergic to bees. So Josh dies from bee stings. However, Fen still takes the advice that the bees give her. And the advice was essentially to watch out for the Dark King, right? So she sends all of Fillory's troops to chase after the Dark King, which the citizens thought was tyrannical overreach. And she still got executed. Yes. Yep. Yep. Mm. Cool. Before they go to the stamps, I do want to point out that Elliot just kind of gives up. He's like, so that's it then. And Margo's like, in what conceivable universe would that ever possibly be it? She's like pissed at Elliot. I would be too. Elliot's just thrown in the towel. This is definitely, oh, dude, Elliot, what the fuck are you saying and thinking? He was basically saying, uh, I think you just missed the first cock that you got attached to or shit like that. It's like, yo, bro, Elliot, back the fuck off, man. Not to mention that's Josh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not a random like how Elliot felt that way from the first season. That's exactly what he was describing. What he felt about. I forget his name. The guy that the beast killed Jane Chatwin with Mike. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> what a it's great also, name. <laughs> <laughs> it is also. I mean, Margo's his best friend, obviously. 
but she and she says to him, you know, I'm going to give you a pass for all this bullshit because you were inside, you know, or a tyrannical monster, whatever took over your a murderous monster took over your body. But I'm curious to see when is the end of that, you know, that's line that she keeps giving him this leash, basically. When does she take the kitty gloves off? Exactly. Yeah, I'm very curious. I hate seeing Elliot like this. We say that it's mm. better than him being the monster. But at this point, it almost feels like it's barely better than him being the monster. I, I love how Margot was saying, oh, yeah, Josh kept talking about the bees. He wouldn't stop talking about them. And then she's like, oh, yeah, he's allergic. That's why he wouldn't stop talking about him. It's like, come on, dude. You're in love with that person? You don't even know what they're allergic to? I mean, that's that's literally what uh, Elliot says to her, too. Yeah. Yeah, Elliot's just being a complete martyr. And that is when Margot then finds these timestamps, which allow you to send a letter to anybody, anywhere, at any time period. Uh, Jane Chatwin used them to send letters to her brothers in the Fillory books. Glitch. So cool. It is Such glitch. A- it's also great. Like we talked about it last episode too, that how much of a Fillory nerd Margot actually is. Like she knows a lot about the books. Yeah, when she That's- tells Elliot, dude, just read the fucking books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he can't get through it. He's literally the books about ruling his kingdom. And he's like, ah, can't do it. Isn't that how Margot Rufy's uh, Quentin ahead of the challenges or the the whatever they're called in season one? They bond over Fillory and then it's just like, come on, have a drink with me. Like, for oh, Fillory yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. And then he gets Rufy and they Even do the challenges. Dean Fogg was a, was a fan of the Fillory books. I think he drops, yeah. he name drops that was last season or something. Fucking ridiculous that Elliot has not read the books up until the point, like in the series. Mm-hmm. It would Ooh, just maybe be so that'll happen for him. Will, will that happen this season? Q's gone. Way to reconnect with the lost friend. Who knows? We're thinking. We're we're formulating things in our heads over here. <laughs> I mean, I, he couldn't read Game of Thrones either, man. He skimmed the Wikipedia, though. Yeah, he did. <laughs> so Margot finally gets right into the letter, and she's telling uh, Josh exactly what to do. Telling him to you know send an army, watch out for your people, so they don't overthrow you. The takers. And them. yeah, and of course doesn't work yeah so they get a a history of fillery book from white spire and it says that they tried to cast a banishment spell but the taker still came back anyway and killed everyone in white spire i do love how the way they use the stamps is for the time it just says before he was killed by bees yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just love that like it's that kind of i mean technically that's not vague but it's just really funny how that's how they address the time aspect of the stamps yeah, it's so ridiculous. Like, what if like, he got the letter when he was like five years old? Like, that's before he got killed by the bees. <laughs> that's what I was thinking, too. That's kind of a plot hole, but we'll let it slide. <laughs> Bro, it's fillery. Weirdness abounds. True. True, true. They're thinking of a new plan, and Margo's like, okay, we still got two stamps left. And Elliot says, no, we only have one stamp left. Like, I tried something, didn't work. Just trust me. Like, I'm not trying to pull anything. And it's like, okay, Elliot, whatever. Elliot is still being a total pessimist and saying that no matter what we do, our friends are going to die. And Margo says, I'm writing one final letter to Josh that is just all the knowledge of the Dark King and the Takers so that he can like avoid them all throughout Florian history or know what they're doing. And it would give him his best chance to survive. And I'm also, this is my farewell letter to him. Yeah, so pretty much this letter is her trying to save the kingdom, her her kingdom, and not yeah. Josh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and this was really Elliot, 
Yeah. And then Elliot has the worst line of the entire episode when he says it hasn't been your home for 300 years. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, well, first of all, technically, maybe yes. But for her, it hasn't been 300 years. So why would that like that doesn't mean anything? It's pretty obvious. Elliot's got some shit going on. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's got to turn it around quick. And I think he will. I think w- the decision that he has ahead of him in the last scene of the episode is going to give us a, a much better depiction of where his head's at right now. Well, we got whether two, or not we got two scenes left. Yeah, real quick. Just want to yeah. say like that was so nice how she was like, OK, this is me saying goodbye. It's not me trying to fix everything. It's just me saying goodbye. Oh, Margo. And it works. It, it actually does more <clears throat> than what she thinks because Josh yeah. ends up going to the time dwarf with a ham sandwich. And <clears throat> it's not really, I guess, too much of a foreshadowing. But last episode, the time dwarf tells them, I could take you 300 years in the future. I just can't take you 300 years into the past. So Josh says, like, yeah, so, you know, everyone found out we were going to the future. They all wanted to come. We brought, you know, me, Fen, Tick. He names some of the other advisors and my bowling team. Yeah, yeah. Bowling team. <laughs> yeah, everybody was kind of bummed out once they realized what was going to happen. So they all came with. <laughs> and you know, the clock dwarf had a delicious ham sandwich if Josh made it, man. <laughs> True that. That Probably is incredible. So in, in <laughs> well, he's already high. So yeah, it's a great point. I also feel like our boy Rafe deserves a name drop because he is uh, the right hand man of her slothiness. Her laziness. <laughs> I love the different um ways he describes her. I can't remember it. It's way too long, but it's like her loungingnessness or whatever. <laughs> Everything about Josh's, it's not really a monologue, but his lines in this scene is why I just love this show. Like I just wrote my note is that I just fucking love this goofy ass show. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah. Nobody cool wanted to stay in the past once they knew it was coming. So all the cool guys just came <laughs> and his bowling league, bro. It's so good. Um, so then we find out Josh hid the key to Margot's cell behind the stone before he left. So Margot gets out and Josh presents her to the new cabinet of high King Margot in exile. And it's just, yay, Fillory's back. Um, and then, you know, everybody starts walking away. And this is where we get Elliot with a letter addressed to Quentin Coldwater before he went to the seam. And he's just like, do I put it in or do I not send it? You know, what a cliffhanger, man. That was a good yeah. way to end the episode because you guys don't know if he sent it or not. But Jesus, that was good. Dude, Margot music is great. Margo's just so good. She sees everybody that she literally thought died in like 300 years ago. And the first thing she does is let's get the fuck out of here before we all get killed. Like she's just right back to uh, Margo. What's her name? The Destroyer. The Destroyer. Yeah. Really, yeah, I'm happy that they wrapped up that that 300 year time gap naturally. And it doesn't feel unearned because Jane Chatwin makes sense. The time magic, all that. So that was that was that was really good. Really well done to bring Josh and Fenn back to the relevant time period i guess there's two ways we could go with this whole letter dilemma either he sends it or he doesn't and i don't know what i want more is whether i want elliot to realize that quentin's just gone and that he shouldn't send the letter or if i would prefer him to send the letter and i I have a feeling that the actions would play out the same way even if q knows he's walking into his death this that and the other thing i think q would still make the sacrifice but i feel like i would prefer elliot to realize that and just not send it in the first place very well said i agree with that i think that it wouldn't impact q's decision at all and i think that elliot kind of coming to that realization himself is what needs to happen instead of him 
sending the letter and then that another plan of his not working, I think is worse than him coming to the realization himself without that failure. Could you imagine if in the season four finale, they just had a quick scene where Quentin was reading a letter, but it just was not explained and then just like threw it away. That would have been fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that. If you could send a letter to yourself in the past, what would you tell yourself to do or not do? Buy Bitcoin. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Mine would be like eighth grade. Do not try to quietly fart. It's not going to work out. It's going to be bad. Bro, what? Dude, it's haunting me until this day. Clearly. (laughs) Yeah. It would either be buy Bitcoin or bet the house on the Eagles to win Super Bowl 52. Right. Boom. Paul, where were you when you when you had this issue? Uh, Mrs. Munch's Spanish class, dude. <laughs> so, actually, I, I want to theorize what I, th- I think he is going to send the letter, and I'm just thinking about this now, but I don't think it's going to be a letter saying you're about to die. This is how you can change your fate. I think it's going to be addressing that his greatest failure is the fact that Q wanted to give it a go with him, and he completely just like, did not address it. And I think it's going to be a letter addressed to Q saying, I love you, dude. I should not have been so dismissive when you approached me. I know that was like a serious thing. You know what I'm referring to the peaches and plums scene. I think that's what the letter is going to say. It's just like, I love you, man. And I can get down with that. I'm sorry, but that, that kind of runs somewhat parallel to Alice's kind of journey with it too, of doing something a little drastic to kind of get that closure to finally say goodbye almost. So are the Rooks predicting a Jason Ralph appearance? In episode one of the pod, I thought they would bring him back just for one episode very short. Like he might get a couple minutes this season, but they're not bringing him back back. The Gollum mm-hmm. would have worked perfectly to fill that get specific guess, right? Yeah. I don't know. I think we're going to see him, but I feel like the Gollum was different of like him being on set and like acting out scenes with everyone compared to maybe just like seeing him or like a flashback or something. I don't know. I mean, I would love to see him. So I'm hoping, but I don't know. Any other theories, guys? Let me, let me ask you one more question. So we didn't actually bring up this line, but Margo says something like, let's get out of here before the dark King gets back from his summer home or something. So again, in episode one, I said, are you guys pissed? We're not seeing the dark King. Well, now we got two episodes. Are you pissed that we're not seeing the dark King or what? Well, I'll tell you what, that would be very Todd-like to have his own summer home. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds very Todd-like. He'd be mixing martinis. Not as good as Elliot would be mixing them, but he'd be mixing martinis. He'd be having a party. Very Todd-like. But to answer your question, no, I'm not upset that we haven't seen him yet. I think that's just growing this character of the Dark King. And, you know, the longer we wait to actually get his reveal, the more suspense that it it builds. Yeah, I'd say, if anything, it's a good thing. Cool. Yeah. God, man, this season's good. Yeah, it is. You guys got some good shit ahead of you. I think this this episode did a good job of just definitively setting all of our characters' plots going forward, and it's it's great. I'm I'm really glad that the gang is back together in Fillory. I did not like Margot behind bars, Elliot being a martyr, and Josh and Ben dead. That something about that just didn't sit right with me. Yeah, I'm glad that's gotten all wrapped up fairly quickly. And I mean, okay, there's been a lot of mention of bunnies in these two episodes, so I'm feeling pretty good <laughs> about the bunny theory. And I do miss my boy Sir Effingham the Third. Kathleen did spoil a little bit of the musical episode. She sent me a video of her dancing out the dance moves. <laughs> so I know he gets his boogie on a little bit, so I'm excited to see him. All right, so to end the episode, we're going to go through our Bang Kill Mary segment. 
And this week's theme is going to be powerful female magicians that are side characters. So our options are going to be Jane Chatwin, Professor Lipson, who is, mm-hmm. the, you know, the surgeon, break bills instructor, and then Big B, who is the, the pixie ex-girlfriend of Dean Fogg. She gives she gives Alice and them the spell that ends up supposed to kill the beast, you know. Back the Rhineman Ultra. Yeah, Rhineman yeah. Ultra back in season two. These are some very powerful and very attractive women. And it's the characters themselves. So you're Bankill marrying them in the universe. I can go first. So I am going to marry Jane Chatwin. And I believe I need to marry her because, first of all, she's a time chick. So she's if we're talking about experience, she's got all the experience in the world. She's wise. She's good. She's nice. She's a good person to to marry. I'm going to bang. Well, I'm going to kill Lipson. okay? because we already know that she gets a little cray when she gets banged and and let go. You know, a little uh, (laughs) push to the side. She gets a little cray. So I'm not going to be playing that, even though she I do love her as a character and I do think she's very attractive as well. And I am going to bang Big B because my boy Dean Fogg knows he told me how good she was. I want to take her to the uh the little t- under the tree at Break Bills and <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to bang Big B too because exactly you, you exactly what you said and being Eskimo brothers with Dean Fogg, that'd be sweet. Yeah, and you um i'm actually going to kill jane chatwin because that's she's got some family baggage um like jimmy what you were saying like she could freeze time so she could keep it toyed like (laughs) eternally um so that would be pretty cool but no family baggage um and then i was just gonna i gotta bang or i'm sorry mary lipson dude she she's so beautiful man I mean, I guess if you marry her, you will never see her crazy side because you're, you'll never leave her. So, yeah, well, I'm gonna follow that up and say I'm also gonna marry Lipson because I like a little bit of unstable. It seems like it'd be fun <laughs> in the magician's world. Plus, she's a surgeon, so if you ever get fucked up by messing up a spell, she's got <laughs> yeah. your back. Yeah, and I'm I love gonna that. bang uh, Jane Chatwin because I think she's beautiful. She's awesome, and you could do some time banging. It's got to be its own section of porn, right? Time or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Just the eternal bang. Yeah, you're just we'll like banging research rewind. tonight on that, Luke. And then I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to kill Big B because she's a pixie. She's been around the block. I feel like I'm just gonna let her down. She's you're gonna get some pixie, <laughs> pixie STDs. So I'll go. I definitely want to marry Jane Chatwin just because, you know, she controls time magic. We could just go jumping through history together. I feel like that would just be a good person to marry someone who can time travel um definitely gonna bang big b because like my boy josh who banged a werewolf i'm gonna do it just because i can who else can say they banged a pixie nobody that's why why the fuck not and i will yeah me and paul oh true 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 true. (laughs) um and then i'm gonna kill gonna kill lips in just because she's the odd girl out love me some lips in though can't say a bad thing about her that's me uh, i'll round us out and now i'm kind of questioning i was gonna marry bigby but now if we're all saying it's in a universe where i marry her but it's after you guys have all banged her i don't know <laughs> how i feel about that what the like fuck, we've never had, bro we've never had this rule before in bkm so it kind of threw me off a little bit 
Uh, I'm still going to marry Bigby. Um, she's really hot. She's definitely the hottest of the three of them. Uh, she's a really powerful magician. She's been around the block. So I won't feel insecure about that. She could teach me some things, bring me up to her level. How about that? And then I'm going to definitely bang Jane Chatwin. I'm down for this eternal bang, but I guess then I wouldn't have time to marry Bigby. We'll figure that out. And then Lipson, like Jimmy said, is a little unstable. Um, she's a little crazy. So unfortunately for her, I'm going to have to offer. Damn, that was a good one. Yeah, I mean, you marry Bigby, though. You know she all she does is talk in, in um, riddles. So you might be having some problems during your marriage when she's giving you riddles left and right. Yeah, you're just hmm. going to hear a bunch of stories about all the people she's banged. About us. <laughs> nah. What the hell is going on? <laughs> this podcast is deteriorating, so I'm gonna I'm gonna close this out here. Uh, keep an eye out for our continued coverage of the magicians. We're gonna be covering each episode of season five week by week. As always, if you like what you heard, give Benchtown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BenchtownTV.com and su- subscribe to our show on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Benchtown TV. And thanks for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.